0: Again, smmarketingsociety.com. And now for today's show.
1: Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Tanner Larson, and we'll explore a concept known as revenue optimization. If you're in the business of trying to generate more money with Facebook and or Google ads, you're going to want to pay close attention to today's podcast interview. By the way, if you want to reach me, email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery.
1: Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip.
0: This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric?
2: I found a really cool desktop tool that brings you something that Instagram on the desktop is missing. DMs.
0: Tell me more.
2: So for a lot of people out there, obviously the way that they're the majority of the time they're spending on Instagram is in mobile but there are people who want to get away from the addictive nature of scrolling and scrolling and scrolling inside of Instagram on their phone and they want to do some of their social media management on the desktop where it's much more easy to quell the distractions and one of the things that's then missing though on instagram.com is the ability to answer and send direct messages.
0: Right. For so, so, so for the social media marketer who is sitting at a computer, which is a lot of us, you have to pull out your phone to do that is what I'm hearing mm-hmm. you say.
2: And then you start <laughs> going down the rabbit trails and all of those things. I mean, those happen on desktop too, but science shows, and I'm not going to go into it right now, that opening the phone and doing that though is much more distracting than on desktop. So for people who want to have a really great reaction time or management of their Instagram direct messages on their desktop, I found IGDM. And all it is, is it's a Windows, Mac, and heck, even Linux uh, download for free for the desktop. And once you log into it, you can literally manage and even upload photo and video and emojis as replies. And I mean, I, I've been using this for like a week now, and it's a whole lot easier for me to use this than to pull my phone out and then get distracted.
0: Is it a browser-based tool? Is it a standalone app? What is
2: it? It's a, Yeah, it's a standalone app. And so again, that's why you would want to log into it once you download it and install it either on Windows or Mac. And yeah, I mean, all your direct messages are there on the side that you've already had. You can jump back into any of those and start talking, send a, you know, send a GIF, send an image, send a video or just text or emojis.
0: Interesting. So really cool. What is, uh, what's the cost?
2: It's completely free. Wow. Yeah.
0: So is it just do DMS for Instagram or does it also help you do comments on posts as well?
2: It doesn't do any comments. It, it is literally a single-use app wow. for direct messages on Instagram, which is why it's that kind of missing killer feature that Instagram on the desktop in the browser does not have. This is a great addition to your desktop Instagram management.
0: Do they have a special box. website that we would send people to?
2: Yes. So it's really easy to get to. You just go to igdm.me
0: igdm.me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference— but they're also part of our secret society called the social media marketing society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit, for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now for my interview with Tanner Larson.
1: Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide.
0: Today, I'm excited to be joined by Tanner Larson. If you don't know who Tanner is, he is the author of E-commerce Evolved. He is also an e-commerce optimization expert who focuses on revenue. His consultancy is Build, Grow, Scale, and he also has an event called Build, Grow, Scale, Live. Tanner, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, Mike. Excited to be here.
0: I almost got my tongue twisted with the build, (laughs) grow, scale thing. Don't try to say that three times fast. Totally. So today, Tanner and I are going to explore changes you can make to optimize your ads that you do on Facebook or any other platform towards getting more revenue for your business. Now, before we go there, Tanner, give us a little bit of your backstory. Start wherever you want to start.
3: Gotcha. Okay. So um, let's just Stick with the online stuff because I mean, we could go down our total rabbit hole there if we did, if we expanded it. So, uh, I've been in the online space since 2001. Um, at that time, I had a window cleaning business and a Christmas light business that was doing well, um, but I was bored. So, I looked at the whole internet thing and I started uh, looking around. This is about the time eBay was becoming popular. So, I jumped on eBay and started selling stuff on eBay and quickly became a power seller there. But during that time, like um, my I loved selling stuff online. I still had my business and the technology hadn't caught up yet for small scale operators to handle fulfillment and everything else. So I was still going to the post office every day, individually weighing hundreds of packages and, Hmm. you know, the label printer technology wasn't there. So it was a nightmare. And so I quickly got away from that. And then at that time I stumbled onto ClickBank. Um, And when I was on ClickBank, I found out of this info publishing world and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, that's an
0: affiliate platform, right?
3: Correct, an affiliate platform for info market info products, digital products, and uh, I just kind of saw it. And I saw all these people selling like how to courses and how to business courses and things. And I was like, well, I, ha- I got a window cleaning business, and I've grown very large, and maybe people would want to learn that. So I turned that into an info product. Um, this was back in in 2001 and 2002, and listed it on ClickBank. Held my breath, and I didn't get rich, and I wondered why. Mm. And so that was when I learned about oh, sales funnels and and audiences and marketing and all this online stuff. Like I knew the direct mail game because that's how I'd grown my window cleaning business offline. But I kind of thought of the online space as this magic place. And it wasn't. It was just another business medium. So I had to learn all the things that you had to do online in order to drive sales and marketing and optimization and AOV and all this stuff. And I just fell in love with it. And shortly thereafter, I actually had a... uh, cornea transplant because I almost went blind in my left eye. Whoa. And so I had to have a transplant. And during that time, the healing process was so severe, like two years, I couldn't go outside. I couldn't pick up anything over five pounds. And I wound up having to sell my window cleaning business uh, because I couldn't do the work. I couldn't be out with my crews. And at that time, I shifted completely online. And the rest is history. I've, we've gone from uh, sales funnels. And then as the technology increased, I jumped back into e-commerce because I just always loved the ease of selling physical pro- widgets and gizmos and gadgets online because people like that stuff with an info product You got to go over and above to convince someone of why they need to buy it But with a widget physical products, it was like, oh, I like that and then you just do, Provide the supporting information they need and sales were easier.
0: So what are you do? So now? I've
3: just all, so now that yeah that transitioned into where build grow scale is and we Like build grow scale is all about econ. That's all we do and as I got more and more into econ, we did we did you know stores, we did sales funnels, we did hybrid things, we tested everything, and through that time we had some big wins, we had some big losses. The most recent of those losses was a Shopify store that just took completely off, and then something changed, you know, like Facebook ads or whatever, right. and all of a sudden we went from being at scale selling tens of thousands of products a week to I'm writing $200,000 checks a month to keep the business afloat because cash flow couldn't keep up with the growth and everything just went bad and we figured out that there was some you know we were doing what everybody else was doing and it wasn't working and that was when we kind of got into where we are today with this whole data driven e-commerce stuff that we do and we started looking at data in a unique way and in a different way and in a deeper way and that resulted in you know where we're at today.
0: Awesome. So, what we're going to talk about, folks, is not just relevant if you sell physical products. Am I right, Tanner? I mean, you could apply these same totally. principles, right?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I I'll tend to fall back on, you know, saying e com because it's it's right. kind of what I'm used to. But right. um, we do, we've we do it in, in all stuff: digital okay, products, cool. services, whatever.
0: So, I want to start out this dialogue by talking about some of the biggest mistakes or challenges that marketers make when they're trying to acquire customers. What are the things that you seem to see happening over and over again?
3: Okay. So this this is a big one. There's there's three main things that I see here um, over and over again. I'm just gonna touch on the first two very briefly and then dive into the third one because I think it's the one that nobody talks about. The first one is that most businesses out there, when they're online, whether they're product based, service based, whatever, is that they're front end focused. All right. They, their entire business operates on this idea of, of acquiring a customer and then not only just acquiring the customer, but also extracting and covering all expenses and a profit off the first sale. Right. All right. And that's just a, it's a recipe for disaster. I mean, even like Seth Godin wrote about it in one of his books where he talks about, you know, smart businesses know that real profit is generated the second and third sale and beyond. But this front end focus just has everybody almost chasing their tail, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul trying to stay afloat when if they just shifted their focus a little bit, they would have a much easier time in business. So that's one. Number two is that um, being someone who used to hate data and just think it was just like one of those things that only geeks looked at, I realize now that people just don't realize what information is out there and what, what, how much it can help their business so they're not leveraging it in the right way. Most people's idea of data is installing the Google Analytics tracking pixel on their site, and then that's it. They're like, cool, we're, we're collecting data, but they never touch it. They never mm-hmm. use it. Um, and I'm going to d- dive preach deeper it. into that uh, <laughs> later on.
0: I mean, I say preach it because it's true. I know it's true. I just had a meeting with my marketing department about this very same thing. So keep going. All right, so so far the focus is not on, they're, they're just focusing on the first transaction, and secondly, they're not mm-hmm. leveraging, you know, the full picture of the data that they have correctly. available. Correct. Yep. yep. And then the third and one. And
3: then the third one is the customer journey is not being optimized or even looked at on a on a detailed way. Now, um, the customer journey is the process the customer goes on from and there's different customer journeys, right? There's the customer journey when they're on social media before they get to your site. and the process you take them through to get them over to the site from impressions to clicks to everything else. Then there's the customer journey on the site from the time that the, they land on the site to the time that they leave it in whatever fashion they leave it. Then there's different customer journeys for the people who bounced, the people who bought, and then it's time to go into the back end. So all these different customer journeys are, are being neglected. The one that does get focused on is that initial traffic, social media side of things where it's, how do I get the person to my site? Mm-hmm. But what I want to talk about is the customer journey on the site or on the store. And um, you know this is wh- this is where we found basically the, the one domino that really changed everything for us. Um, so, you know, you imagine your business as a domino set of dominoes, and if you find that one that pushes, you push it down and it just knocks everything else down and it creates this crazy momentum. Well, in this case, it's optimizing that customer journey. And what I mean by that is providing more clarity through the entire process, um, and eliminating friction points or disconnects at each step of the customer journey that people go on. So the best way I can really explain that is to just break down what we consider the seven sections of the customer journey and then I'll, as I go through it, I'll kind of point out a couple of the things that people are you know, making mistakes on and that cause issues. Now, real go quick ahead. before
0: you do this, folks, if your Facebook ads or your Google ads are not converting, this is where you need to pay very careful attention because you can have the best ad in the world, right, Tanner? And if nobody and they oh, get no. to the destination and for whatever reason they leave, it doesn't always mean it's just because of the ad. Am I right?
3: Absolutely. And that's couldn't explain it better. That, that is 100% the problem. People focus so much on getting the ad, and then they wonder why it's just not converting, and they go back and try to get better targeting or better whatever. Well, chances are it's that's not your problem. The problem is once they've got on your site, you are you have so many roadblocks or friction points through the sales process that you don't see because you know your product, you see your site every day, you're blind to it, but going through it as a consumer, as a visitor, it, it and every time you have that problem, it causes a disconnect. The, the best example I can give you of that is traffic is the water hose and your site is a bucket and you're f- filling the bucket up with water, except you have so many holes in the bucket that all the water's leaking out faster than you can fill it. This is what a, 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 your customer journey looks like if it's not been optimized. So you're pouring, 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 but all the water is leaking out. All the sales are leaking out of the bucket.
0: Perfect. Right? So there's seven so, things we got to dive in on, huh? Tell me more.
3: Correct. So the first one is the homepage. Now, there's there's different ways people can interact with your site, depends on where they land and whatnot, but the core seven areas of the customer journey are the homepage. All right, so a lot of people come in through your homepage, they find that, and like some of the issues people have here that you wouldn't necessarily think are issues are no search. You may think your site doesn't need search because you only have one product or you sell a service or whatever else. Data shows that almost every site can benefit from having search functionality prominently displayed on the site because customers don't just search for products. They also search for answers, and they give you data through the search function that helps you improve your site. So other things like that would be you know, complicated navigation, no clear value proposition, and things like sliders. Everybody thinks sliders are so great on a site, they actually have lost in every single test we've ever run across any site we've ever run it on.
0: Oh, wait, 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 real quick. And uh, col- them up there. Collaborate with, I mean, explain what you mean about no sliders.
3: Okay, so when you load a website, a lot of the time you a, a store comes up or a site comes up and right there, right above the fold, below the navigation is a huge banner image that rotates to another banner image and then it rotates to another banner image. And a lot of the time it's just full of gibberish or it's product shots, but they're not clickable and whatever. So you're wasting usually up to three quarters of your screen, which is, above the fold, which is the most important space of your screen, to a slider. I see. So you test that, take that off, and move actually important stuff up, and all of a sudden, your site starts converting significantly. I'm better. glad you
0: clarified what that meant, because some people might have thought it's that stuff when it slides in on the side, like with a little offer, so that's not what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, that's about. a good point. Yeah, yeah,
3: absolutely. Okay, I'll make sure I clarify on this stuff. Yep. So that's the homepage. There's a ton of other things, but the biggest thing is reducing clutter and... Um, when it comes to your, your uh, customer journey, the things you're looking at is you want them to have a very clear hierarchy of focus. You only want them to look at and, know, and at what you want them to look at, and they need to know exactly where to go intuitively without you having to have someone there to hold them by the hand, which isn't obviously going to happen. The problem with most sites is there is no hierarchy of focus. There's so many things going on that the eye doesn't know where to go. Perfect. Perfect. Okay? So next one is your category and or collection pages. This is probably specific more to, you know, people selling some kind of product or things like that. But this is where you organize and potentially display the different offers that you have in bulk, right? And the big issues here are poor organization, making it hard for them to dig through them. Um, The lack of useful filters. Like when you go to a site, you go to Amazon and you have that left side column of all those awesome filters. Like I only want prime. I only want four star and above. I'm only looking for you know, TVs, 55 inches or, or larger, things like that, right? Well, most stores only use the default filters, which don't necessarily line up with the product types that they're selling. And that causes a problem because you're making it harder for the customer to find what you want. Um, and then the next thing from down from there would be your search results page. Okay. So your search results page is if obviously if you have search engaged on your site, someone types in a search um, what people don't realize is that you can actually manipulate those results, not in a bad way, but in a good way to optimize the experience for the customer. So if you know, rather than having nothing found, you can always have a cert- like a default response found. Also, the layout of the results often is very garbled and not clear. So the customers look at it and they're like, I don't know what I'm seeing here. If you look at how Google's made a very big effort to clean up and streamline the search, so that you can skim it and find what you need. You can do the same thing with your search results page, and then the other thing people do is they get you let their site pull in the generic meta meta text from whatever that page is they're pulling in the search result from, which is usually SEO bait and is not really optimized for sales, readability, or anything that the customer actually cares about. Um, so you need to make sure you're you know providing information on the search results page that's useful to the shopper, or the visitor, or the browser, and again has that correct hierarchy of focus to send them where they need to go in the right way. Perfect. Uh, so next one up is product pages. Okay. If you're selling something, you're going to have a product page, which is basically your sales page for the product. It could be a direct landing page. It could be a product page on a store or whatever. This is where some of the biggest leaks happen on your site. Okay. And it's because they're buying, If they're, let's just say, take a widget. For example, they're buying a physical product online. One thing you can do wrong is you could have the wrong kind of images. They're, they're not you know, if they can't touch a product, it's not tangible, they need to be able to see it as close to tangibly as possible. So you're either your images are, are poorly done, you have the wrong kind of images. Um, you know, you're showing too many images, and you're overwhelming them with, with, with too many options and too many different things. You're using uh, FAQs or a, pa- a page is like, hey, go check out our FAQs to describe your product or provide more information about your product. Which is now taking them off the product page to another page to get them to understand your FAQs, and that's a unique thing in and of itself because FAQs stands for Frequently Asked Questions. Well, if a question's asked frequently about your product or about what your service or about what you're selling, should you have it hidden in an FAQ or should you take care of it on the product page or the page where you're actually selling the pro- the offer?
0: That's a good point because you might get abandonment, need- huh? You might get people just leaving. You get because,
3: huge abandonment. Yeah. Correct. And people abandon from, for, from FAQ pages at a much higher rate than they do from a product page. And so the idea is to keep them on the product page by giving them the information that they need when they need it.
0: What's your views on, vi- so, on what's your thoughts on video on products pa- pages? Because, you know, obviously a video is going to take up a bigger block than just a picture. Um, is it useful? What's your thoughts?
3: absolutely in the right context. All sites are contextual. If the video is a, you know, video that you like versus what your customers like, then no. But if it's a if you if it's an explainer video or something that actually demonstrates critical information that the customer needs in order to advance to the next step of the process, then yes, have it up there above the fold. If it's something like a testimonial reel or a cool, you know, hero shot type video or whatever like that, then yeah, go ahead and put it on the page, but go ahead and let it load below the fold so that it doesn't impact the the DOM time of the site.
0: I like that a lot. We we've we found from our own research that having the video above the fold for social media marketing world actually hindered sales because people weren't scrolling past it. And uh, it was it was a testimonial reel, but it was very nicely done. But we found that having it at the bottom of the sales page was far more useful because if they get down there, they're interested in potentially watching that at that juncture because they're skimming in the beginning and trying to ascertain whether this product is for them.
3: Yeah. And is it worth the time to click on the video? They've got, at that point, they've made their mind.
0: Exactly. Any other stuff on the product page?
3: I mean, we could go into a ton, but like, I want to keep going because I don't want to dwell on any one thing for everybody. So the next thing is the cart. Okay. So, On the cart the biggest thing on the cart is distractions okay again there's that hierarchy of focus what do you want them to do next all right and in the cart there's two main things that people screw up in the cart on whether it's a a product-based shopping cart a service-based cart whatever number one they are using third-party payment options in the cart, so w- when you add a product to cart or add a service to cart or whatever, and then it says proceed to checkout, but above or below that it says, "Hey, buy, pay with Amazon or pay with, you know, PayPal or whatever like that." So they haven't even decided how they want to pay yet. They haven't even uh, committed to pay yet. They've only added to cart. So we're displaying incorrect information that's pushing a buying decision before they've made the decision to buy. That's one. Number two is, let's say they are ready to buy. If they click the pay with Amazon or the pay with PayPal, it immediately takes them off your site and you've not been able to capture any data, no email, no contact, no phone number. You're not able to do any kind of follow-up for cart abandonment. So if you're letting them leave the site in the cart, the only thing you can do to bring them back is some kind of dynamic cart retargeting.
1: Hmm.
3: So the thing you want to do there is actually suppress those options until the actual payment information page where they would input their credit card number. And then right there, you can have your options for them to select at that point. They've already, you've already got your the email, you've got the phone number, you've got the ability to follow up with them. And then at that point, they're ready to choose their payment option in the cart. They're not ready. And
0: Fascinating. That right
3: there has made probably the biggest impact of any change we've ever made to the shopping cart was suppressing those buttons.
0: Okay. Crazy question. Um, those of us that are using Stripe, like we are, or PayPal Express, which just pops up, you know what I mean, um, without a, leaving the cart. Um, so if we just have a single you know, single page process, if you will, do you recommend asking for the customer information and then putting the, how would you like to pay for it at the bottom of that page, since it's all integrated into a single page, rather than having the- f- 100%. Okay, that's because smart.
3: The most important thing you can get out of this customer- as they're filling out the information, is that email address and potentially the phone number if you're going to do SMS
0: follow-up. Right. Um, and that's, so that's the, that's the opposite sure the of all these systems are programmed to be the opposite of that, right? They always ask you, how right. do you want to pay for it at the top? So this is a move that can have a huge impact. That's amazing. Thank you. I'm yeah, making a, notes for a myself. Deal. Okay, cool. So is that all seven or do we have another one?
3: No, we've got a couple more.
0: Oh, okay. Keep going.
3: Um, so uh, the other thing, well, actually, that's enough for cart. Let's go ahead and dive into the checkout. So once they've added to the cart, they're ready to go to checkout. So now, if you don't have a cart, you would just skip right here to the checkout. And in that case, the checkout issue is number one: poor abandonment recovery, which we kind of touched on in that last point. In terms of if you have your payment options up at the top and your contact details at below, then you're not capturing that. And abandonment is huge. Okay, it's a four trillion dollar a year. Loss to the e-commerce industry globally across all online sales—I have no idea—but four trillion just in e-commerce. Thirty to sixty percent of that is recoverable. High-ticket services, high-ticket offers are also significantly um, more apt to be recovered, through like a, through like a sales pipeline. If you're leveraging abandoned follow, automated abandoned follow-up. Okay, hmm. so making sure that you have. The very first field that they fill out on your order form or on your checkout page is email, not their name, their email. Right below that, it could be their phone number because those are the most important too. If you're not doing SMS follow up, then go ahead and suppress the phone number completely. Unless unless you need it, get rid of it. The less fields there are, each field you reduce your order form, you usually get about a four and a half percent lift in completed checkouts.
0: Wow, that's crazy.
3: Um, so the other thing is congruency and trust many order forms that you go off your site, like social media examiners, a beautiful site. And I'm not saying you guys do this, but that's my example. They, they have this great site. And then you click over to this order form and it's this, you know, for giggles, it's an ugly infusion soft order form that doesn't look anything like the site they just left. Right. So when that happens, there's a, there's an immediate shock to the brain that sends up a red flag subconsciously. That's like, Hey, did I just, am I on a safe site anymore? Is everything okay? Is anything good? So you want to make sure that you continue that branding all the way through um, just for the, the, the trust thing. Also, you should have a customer support phone number and a customer support email visible right next to your logo, right at the very top in the header of your checkout page. Those two things alone, even though you know you might perceive it's going to increase your customer service, which it doesn't, never has – but it increases the trust significantly, and adding that was about a seventeen percent increase in completed checkouts just by adding those that trust. Hey, we're here in case you need us, kind of thing to it.
0: And if you have a live chat agent, I would imagine you would add that on that page too, right?
3: Correct. But you don't have it pop up. You let it. You let them pop it up.
0: Got it. Perfect. Okay. Good. Don't have no distractions. Did we hit all seven, or is there another one?
3: Uh, nope. We've got the last one is the order confirmation page, and this one's easy. It's just um, number one is you're not most people on the on the order confirmation page aren't managing customer expectations they're not telling the customer what happens next what does the customer need to do if anything how does wh- what happens after the sale and you've got their money and then they don't have any information so the most important thing there is to manage those expectations explain to them create a video do whatever it takes to you know make them feel comfortable and then if you're selling something it's the perfect time to present them with some kind of additional offer um, or as you edu- start educating them towards the next, you know, escalation in your sales process.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, we just talked about a lot of areas that you can improve. You know, I would imagine if you just focus on even a couple of these areas, you could start to see an incremental increase in your conversions. Am I right?
3: Oh, massively. Yeah. I mean, and I would never say jump into all of these at once. So, um, what we do and what we do it's different than from what a lot of other people do is when we analyze a site and we look for all we do what we call a heuristic analysis and we go through and analyze a site we start the way the customer in, comes in from the homepage down to the checkout when it comes time to start optimizing and improving you want to start at the money and work your way forward so you start with the checkout page and then you work your way forward that way that every optimization that you do builds on the moving forward if you start from the front and make all these improvements to the front And but you have a big problem in the middle or the back, well, then none of that benefit is going to translate through. But if you work from the back to the front, everything builds on the next and it just gets that much more powerful.
0: Now, you and I have talked about a phrase, revenue optimization, um, prior to us having this interview. Can you define what that is and tell us how it's different maybe than what people traditionally might think of as conversion rate optimization?
3: Sure. So revenue optimization is what we do at Scale. It's a coin that we termed because there, for lack of a better thing, there was nothing else out there that did what we did. And, you know, revenue optimization is a more holistic approach to optimizing a site. And it focuses on, like I said, the entire customer journey, not just the front end, though, it also focuses on the back end customer journey. Um, so from the time they land to, the, to basically the end of time, whether they buy or die, right?
0: So pretty much everything and, we've been talking about it, right?
3: Correct. And, except we didn't even touch on the back end, which that'd be a whole nother, <laughs> we could go on forever so how about is that, that. So how, we'll is that this,
0: how is this different than what people think of as conversion rate optimization?
3: So conversion rate optimization is typically all about conversion and lowering the customer acquisition costs. It's basically a surface level optimization where it's like, let's optimize what we see and then test what we think. So, hey, let's change this button color. Let's do this.
0: Right. Uh,
3: let's. It's it's very surface level. It's very topical, and it can work. But typically, when you do surface level optimizations, you're optimizing for the whispers versus the shouts. And with revenue optimization, uh, when CRO also starts front to back, whereas revenue optimization, we're looking at how do we present the right information at the right time to streamline the entire customer journey and remove all the obstacles along the way? And the reason we call it revenue optimization is, you know, well, conversion rate its optimization is actually one step away from what people want, okay? What they actually want is more money in their pocket. The ch- problem is, is that conversion rate optimization gives you that tunnel vision that often you do optimize your conversion rate, but your revenue suffers, your bottom line suffers, the, your net profit suffers, everything kind of suffers because of the, the tunnel vision that happens with conversion rate optimization. So our approach was, when we started doing conversion rate optimization on our sites, we're like, man, yeah, our conversions are going up, but we're really not making any more money. That's not what we want. So we took a whole new approach and said, hey, how do we focus on the revenue first and putting as much money in our pocket as possible, while at the same time you know, optimizing the site? So we, that's kind of where the whole revenue optimization term came from.
0: Perfect. I want to spend the remainder of our time digging in on the analytics, um, you mentioned one of the challenges that um, marketers face is they're not leveraging the data. Um, And I know that you are very analytical. And um, I know you have people that work for you that are even more analytical. But tell us, like, what do we need to be looking at when it comes to the data in order to maybe find areas that we need to enhance? Because I know you've got a lot of great things to say about this.
3: Totally. So first I have to let you guys know that if you're listening that I'm a adopted geek. Like I used to like, can't, I don't even show me a spreadsheet. I don't want to see the data. I don't care. Just let me make more money. Let me run more ads. Let me build another sales funnel with my my business partner definitely had a more more data driven approach, which was great. And I can now say that I'm a full blown convert. Make me as geeky as you possibly can because the data is amazing. So I'm going to, kind of take you through that. So the big thing here is, you know, and actually, uh, Michael, just to give you a, a little thing, like you said, we have our our revenue optimization experts that work for us that you alluded to. Um, we have eight full-time experts, eight full-time developers and data engineers um, that are spending roughly 500 hours a week doing nothing but what I'm talking about right here. So the, the amount of data that we collect, um, and we're doing 25 major split tests a week over uh, over two dozen sites every single week. Um, so the data we're able to collect is really huge, and that's why what I'm about to share with you guys, I pulled some really cool examples of some easy optimizations anybody can make. The only way you're going to get that kind of data is by leveraging Google Analytics and Google Tag Manager. There is no other data source on the planet that is anywhere near as powerful as that. And you can't just use Google Analytics. and Well, you can't use Google Tag Manager at all if you don't have Google Ad- Analytics. Um And if you're unfamiliar with those two, I'm sure you've heard of them, but if you're really unfamiliar with how they work, uh, a good analogy is Google Analytics, it's a data collection service. It collects data from your site. But to put that in perspective, it's like an AM FM radio. You only get the stations that are coming into it. You can't really manipulate it. You can't do anything. You can't search it. You can't do anything else. All right. When you add in Google Tag Manager, and which which collects data in unique ways and allows you to do all these really cool filters and goals and all this other stuff it ba- and it combine it with Google analytics well now you've upgraded to a uh, you know multi disk cd changer that also has Sirius and XM radio and you know you can plug in all your mp3s and everything else and you have this full gamut of information and music available to you that's the difference and without those two working together you'll never be able to Uh, Number one, you won't be able to do the optimizations I'm going to show you, but number two, you won't be able to really um, use data to dial in your business because I'm telling you guys, I didn't like it, and now I look at data every single day, and the more time I spend looking at our different data, our different reports, our different filters and segments, the more improvement
0: it's like, a tre- it's like a treasure hunt, right? I mean, let's be honest. You, you find little gems and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, what if we tweak this a little bit? And then when it works, it's like, it's like a dopamine hit, isn't it?
3: <laughs> it's huge. And it's, the, the crazy thing is, is mining your data this way, like, like what I'm going to talk about, you typically find shouts versus whispers. Like, yeah, we'll test page colors, but only after we've gone through the data and, and actually seen – because the data is telling us what the customers are doing, what the browsers are doing. So by looking at that, it, sh- it shows us literally where the gaps are. And if we just go apply ourselves to those different you know, gaps in the data, we can make massive, massive wins.
0: Um, cool. Let's talk about some of the stuff yeah. that people okay. should be looking for.
3: So we're, we, t- we talk about making data-driven decisions, okay? Now, again, most people let that go in one ear and out the other. But the, the real thing is is it's not the data that's driving it. You're collecting the data, and then you have to interpret it, okay? And what we're doing here is – we're using Google Analytics and Google Tag Manager to track everything: every link, every button, every page, every video, every image. We track all of it. Okay. Then we also use things like we do user testing. We use Site, uh, you know, Hotjar and things like that to record more uh, user sessions and stuff like that. So everything is being tracked. Everything is being um, analyzed, and then you go back and you interpret that and you pull reports to combine them. So what I want to do is I want to go through four examples of four different low-hanging fruit optimizations so these are and these are things you would never think of before but they made a massive massive impacts so i picked the same site so the the, the and these builds are i'm sorry these optimizations i'm going to show you i'm going to give you examples and revenue numbers and things like that all of these build on one another so it, you know we made each one of these changes and this massive impact took hold on this on the site okay so the site we're talking about it sells one product for about 89 bucks okay so the first thing that we implemented was site search tracking okay now this is something that's by default off in google analytics so inside your your account manager you need to make sure you turn on site search it's just a it's just a little switch that you turn on Okay. So make sure that's on. And again, I used to think of search because I come from direct response, long form sales letters, that kind of thing. I thought search was a necessary evil on big sites. In reality, search is huge. Okay. So and the, the more prominent the search is, the better the impact to your bottom line is going to be, even if you only have one product, because they're not just, if you have a search bar, people will not just search for product name green or product name. They'll type, Um, You know, how do I cure this or how do I blank this or will this do this? They'll actually provide you with the buyer intent terminology that they're searching for on your site that you can extract from Google Analytics and then use in your copy, in your ads and everything else in addition to the way that they search for your product by name. They may type it in a different way than you type it in. All that stuff can be leveraged for SEO, for sales, for marketing, for advertising, for all of it. But what I want to share with you in this example is just like some craziness because this is where I this is when I became a real believer in it. So this site has one product, okay, and we pulled some reports on search, and it showed that seven percent of the site traffic used the search. Okay, so in our mind, that's a pretty minor amount of traffic, right? However, when we cross-reference it with another report, our e-commerce report, it showed that the seven percent that searched accounted for 20% of all the site's revenue.
0: Mm, Interesting.
3: And they had a conversion rate of 14.75%. People who searched converted at 14.75%. That's really high. Which was double the normal 7% conversion on the site, which is already high. Wow. So that right there said, okay, the question is, how do we get more people to search now? So we went from a little search bar on the left to we did a full Amazon-style search bar across the top. And, you know... Really made it prominent. We've since been able to increase that to around, um, I think around 13% of people are searching now. And it's accounting for even more. But that's one thing that people, you know, you got that tiny little search icon over in the right hand corner of your site or your search is in the footer. So one thing you want to explore is making search more prominent and seeing how that impacts your sales.
0: So are you saying in this particular case, by making it easier for others to search, more did search and as a result those who did search converted again at that higher percentage point and 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 ended up leading to more revenue for the company
3: 100%. Every time we've been able to increase the amount of people who use the search function on the site whether it's the mobile search or the desktop search sales increased. And
0: even though they the sold only increases. one product, is that right? Correct. Wow. We got
3: two, a couple of <laughs> couple of variations of the same product.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So, so first tip is to look at your search data. And 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 correct and, and
3: leverage site search.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. You had three other examples?
3: Correct. So, moving on to the next one, and these ones are sound really boring, but when I hit the example and I show you the revenue, you'll all of a sudden think that dorky boring stuff is pretty sexy. So, this one is identifying underperforming browser segments, okay? So your browser is your web browser, right? Like Chrome, Safari, Firefox, Edge, Internet Explorer. Different demographics, different people search with different browsers, right? A lot of Mac users use Safari. They may use Chrome as well. A lot of you know PC guys use Firefox and Chrome. And then there you got the older generations who still think Internet Explorer is awesome. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, then this is a check you want to do monthly. The, uh, you don't, this is not a one-time check, okay? But basically what you're looking for is these browser segments that are underperforming, meaning people who are on a specific browser and a specific version of a browser are converting less highly than your site's average conversion or compared to your other browsers. And this is not a maybe thing. This is a guaranteed thing. Everybody has underperforming browser segments. And now this is not, I'm going to talk about a conversion standpoint, but this could also be from a lead gen standpoint or from a specific page view or consumption standpoint. Anytime you have a um browser conflict it per, it reduces the performance across whatever you're doing on that page so the, the what causes these conflicts is the fact that browsers are constantly pushing new updates right And a lot of times these updates are advanced or they cause code conflicts with the existing code on your site because it hasn't updated to match the new code right uh-huh. or your, your code on your site is updated and the old browser stuff can't manage what your site can do now. So there's a lot of these things. And these like, I would never think of this stuff because like I am just not that kind of geek. Like I didn't even know there were b- different browser segments. Like That just wasn't what I did, right? But so you want to run this report, okay? And you have to have Tag Manager and everything else set up to do this right. But you run this report and you filter it by device because you always got to separate mobile and desktop out because they perform completely different. And then you wanna look for browsers that are converting lower than your site average, okay? So whatever your average site conversion rate is, in this case, or your opt-in rate, or whatever it is you're tracking, you're looking for things that are performing less. So then once you find that, you wanna click, th- okay, let's say Chrome is converting, You know, it's getting a high percentage of our traffic, but it's, it's the lowest performing browser segment. I'm gonna click on that, and it's gonna open up all the different versions of Chrome, and it's gonna give me data on each version And I can see how each version of Chrome is performing. And what you're going to find is that several of those versions are probably, most of them are probably converting just fine, but you'll probably have a couple of them that are just way down in the toilet. You got to really, and you just look at those. So what do you do? How do you fix it? Right? Well, I don't fix it and you shouldn't fix it either. What you should do is you should collect that data, give it to a developer or a tech team and say, hey. Uh, People on this specific version of Chrome, this browser version, are having issues. They're not converting it as highly. Let's go look at it. So what they're going to do is you're going to use a tool that allows you to roll back browser versions. You're going to look at uh, the site with that browser version, and it's not anything magic. All you're doing is looking at it, and you're seeing what kind of code conflicts are showing up both under the hood in the code you can't see. And then also visually, a lot of times buttons won't show up or images don't show up or they're skewed or just the trust is thrown off because the site's not laid out properly or your footer may show up in your header. And if you hadn't tested that one specific version, you would have never found that.
0: Fascinating. Okay? Is there any tools out there that that we can just put our URL in and it will kind of pop up how it looks in all sorts of different browsers? Are you
3: know you- what? There is. Um, and I, I'm going to have to get that I'll have to ask my team for what that is because yeah. I don't remember what I would
0: love to call. know that just because but, uh, we're going through a brand new website redesign yep. and you're making me think about it. <laughs> yep. Okay. Cool. So, so awesome. So we've talked about two out of four, right? So what are the yeah, other two? So Let
3: me give you any, let me give you the stats on that one because okay. that one s- sounds super geeky. And again, like I'm telling you, it's going to be exciting. So um, what we did there was on this is the same site, right? So the example here is the same store had a conversion rate of around 7.11%. And we looked at the browser segments. Now, Chrome was was 63% of the traffic on that site. And it was converting, the Chrome browser was converting at 6%, which is obviously 1% less than the site's average. So that was um. the low-hanging fruit in this example. Now we actually increased it significantly higher. It went up to like eight, because sometimes your browser segments will perform better than others, and but your average still, you know, because all browsers convert differently with different demographics. Right. But I want to give you the example based on just the increase to the average conversion rate. So from 6 to 7 that equaled 125 sales per month extra, an extra 11,000 in revenue per month and over the year an extra $134,000 simply by identifying and fixing one browser segment that was underperforming compared to the rest.
0: That's awesome. Okay, let's go and to the let's go to the last two just for time.
3: Yep, okay, last two. So underperforming screen resolutions, again, something I didn't even think was a thing, hmm. right? Now, your screen resolution is the pixel size of the, the what you're looking at on your screen, you know, 19 by 20 by 1080 or 13 by 66 by 786, those kind of things. Wow. Now, this is straight up a visual, right? You're looking for resolutions that convert lower than the site average, okay? Now, all resolutions should convert the same because it's what they're seeing. So if, there's, if a, one resolution is converting lower than the other, that means at that resolution, your site's probably getting squashed or something's not lining up properly or the mobile usage isn't working or whatever. There's a conflict. All right. So you want to test each main browser and look at those, each of those different resolutions. And in your report, it'll give you all the resolutions and pretty much it's going to be the 80, 20 approach. So you're going to have like two or three resolutions that drive most of your traffic. And of those one or two of them are going to underperform the other ones. So test them look for display issues it's almost always a display issue a button's hidden a lot of times like an add to cart button gets covered up by an image or text or things like that um but by fixing that you can have some amazing wins so again same site we found out that the 13 uh 1336 by 768 resolution um was the underperforming browser okay and it was getting i think 13 or 14 percent of the traffic um And so what we did was we increased it again, basically just got it up to right about the average conversion rate that we were already at for the rest of the the resolutions. That equaled, so just increasing the the visual layout of that resolution resulted in 185 extra sales per month, $16,000 in revenue for the month, and over 200K per year in combined revenue from that one optimization that we would never have had if we weren't leveraging and mining our data.
0: Awesome. And your last one?
3: Last one, this is the one that people will actually probably think is the coolest because it deals with landing pages, right? And everybody, social media, whatever, whatever you're doing, you're doing marketing, you've got landing pages, whether it's for opt-ins, for views, for native ads, for whatever, right? So the report, it'll show the URLs of all the pages on your site that people land on, that they come in from, whatever the source. Now, you can sort by ad traffic, you can sort by organic or whatever, but in this case, we're just looking at all of them. Again, you're going to sort by desktop and mobile, and you're looking for pages that have high volume, meaning large number of sessions, but have a low conversion rate or low KPI, whatever that KPI is, again, that you're tracking, opt-in or whatever. In this case, a conversion rate. Now, people can land anywhere on your site, obviously, and not all pages or entry points in your site will convert the same. Now, what we do with Google Tag Manager is we're able to track every entry point and when someone enters there, we can track them through the entire sales process. And I can tell you that someone who lands on our About Us page and winds up converting converts at this percent versus someone who comes in through the product page. And that data, I I never had that data for almost 15 years of what we were doing. And now that we have it, it's amazing because you can optimize, again, based on the different pages. So what you're doing to optimize these, these different pages is – first thing you do is a visual check. You go through the site, put your customer glasses on, and you go through it, and you look for anything on that page that is out of the ordinary or that catches your eye as a disconnect or things like that. Then you use things like Hotjar or True Convert, and you do screen recordings. You watch your consumers going through the process, where they click, what they do, how long do they spend here, and you start watching hundreds of those, and you start seeing a pattern, seeing what people do, and all of a sudden, you know, errors or bugs or things that are confusing to them will pop out at you then you go fix that you can also pay for user testing this is something that is amazing there's sites out there like usertesting.com and other ones where you can pay people to go through your site as a consumer who's never seen it before and they record the whole process and they explain it what they're thinking as they go through it and then you can watch that and what you think is intuitive you may find is totally not intuitive because they're telling you they don't even know what to do um, So super cool to do that, and it's really then you obviously anything you find you send to a dev or you do yourself and you fix those errors, fix those bub bugs, and if you get an idea, it gives you you know a foundation to run a split test based on what you decide what you discover. Awesome. So well, stats, I got to get the stats because this is landing page stats.
0: You got something else you All want right, to say so, there? Yeah, go for it quick.
3: Okay, real quick. So this one, and this is a crazy thing because people a lot of people neglect their about us page, but in this case. The about us page of this site, this is a one product physical widget site, right, was getting 13.2% of the traffic that was entering the site was landing on the about us page. The conversion rate of that page was 2.41%. Now, normally you're thinking, oh, that's not a money page. Okay, I'm not going to worry about that. It's still converting. No big deal because people don't convert off the about us page, right? Well, they do. So site average conversion, again, same site was about 7%. So we were able to increase the page conversion of the About Us page to 6.6%, not quite as high as the site average, but still pretty high, which resulted in 340 extra sales per month, $30,000 a month in revenue, and $366,000 per year in combined revenue potential from that one optimization. And the fix is the crazy part. So what do we do? Well, this About Us page was... Quite long. They had a huge story where they talked about where they came from, how they built the product, and it was actually well done. The text was broken up nicely. But the thing was is there was no shop now buttons or ways to get to the product without having to scroll back to the top. So we added shop now buttons so that one was always on the screen no matter where you scrolled. Not a, sta- not a sticky hover button, but actual buttons just spaced in and out of the copy. Then there was a high engagement video that kind of told their story that people were really consuming at the bottom of the page. We moved it up, and put it right just or left justified next to some text, and that people engaged on that, and people who engaged on that were buying. The final thing we did was where we had the video at the bottom. We put a little collage of lifestyle images of people using the product, and and put a shop now button beneath me beneath that. That's it. Three simple little changes to the page based on all those things. We watched how people engaged with the site. We watched what we saw what they were consuming. We tracked what they were doing. We made those three changes, and that resulted in an extra, basically, thirty grand a month wow. off the About Us page.
0: That's nuts. Man, yeah. Tanner, first of all, thank you so much for all your awesome wisdom. I know you and I could go for another hour easy because i got a million questions I just can't ask. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. But tell everybody where they can discover you um, if they want to find out more about you and your company.
3: Okay. There, I have one sentence I have to say because I want to clarify that – Yep. We're. Although I said conversion, we're not actually fixing the conversion. Guys, what we're doing here is we're improving the clarity across the entire customer journey. Anytime you do that, you're going to win big, okay? So enough about the, the data stuff. Like you said, the question is, where can they learn more about us? Well, the best way to find out more about build grow scale myself. And what we do is at buildgrowscale.com scale.com. You can learn everything you ever wanted to know about us and probably too much over there. And then if you wanted to grab a copy of my book, you can go to Amazon and get it at Amazon. Just search e-commerce evolved. It's the number one book in the category. Um, and then you could, if you really want to go through a free plus shipping funnel, you could go to e book.com and grab it there.
0: Tanner Larson spelled L a R S S O N. Thank you so much for sharing your awesome wisdom and insights with us.
3: You're totally welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to today's podcast interview. And by the way, if there was anything we mentioned in today's interview and you missed it, we take all the notes for you. Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 330. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change